Hi, my name's Rob, and it's great to see you here. It's great that you can join us for these three sessions as we look at three portraits of Jesus in the book of Luke over this Easter period. The idea of these sessions is that we open up the conversation with you. You can add some comments and questions below. And it'd be great to hear what your thoughts are on these things. The first portrait we're going to look at is of Jesus riding on a donkey, entering Jerusalem. And you'll find that in Luke chapter 19. So we're in these chapters of Luke and we're in chapters 19 to 23 um, in the next three uh, sessions and uh, the three pictures that we see of Jesus. And uh, Jesus says something back in chapter 18, verse 31. If you want to look at that, taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished. So Jesus knows where they're going and he knows why uh, it's so that everything the prophets said would be accomplished. And then if you want to skip to verse uh, chapter 24 at the end of the bit we're going to look at um, in chapter four, uh, chapter 24, verse 26, chapter 24, verse 26. He says this. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory and beginning with Moses and all the prophets? He interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So if that's what Jesus says in chapter 24, and that's what he said in chapter 18, everything that happens in between those two chapters, which is the three pictures we're going to be looking at, that's the, the bit for, that fulfills the prophets. And that's the events that go on there are exactly what will fulfill everything the prophets have said in the Old Testament. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to read Luke chapter 19, verses 36 to 40. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Great, thank you. Thanks, Kenny. I guess if I released a video of me... And I was emerging from a golden balcony and starting waving to the crowds. And I timed the release of that video uh, for this evening at seven o'clock when the Queen is meant to make a royal announcement. Well, I reckon there'd be little doubt about what kind of claim I'm making about myself. Uh, well, this scene here in Luke may seem a bit alien to us, but it wouldn't have been for the Jew. Because what was lodged in their minds were vivid pictures the prophets gave, like this one from Zechariah chapter 9. Uh, Zechariah 9 verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So you see, is that picture <laughs> and Jesus has got everyone in position and the scene is set. He wants his declaration 
what he's saying about himself to be unmissable. He is the king that they had long been waiting for. You see, he's timed it for maximum exposure as well. It's the Jewish festival of Passover. So Jerusalem is absolutely heaving. And the roads leading there are buzzing with people. This is public. Well, the disciples, they clearly get Jesus's reference because they respond just as Zechariah predicted. They say in verse 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and on earth and glory in the highest. Sorry. Jesus clearly it approves of them causing a scene. And he approves of all eyes being on him. He wants there to be no doubt who he is. He is the long awaited king, the king that they've always wanted. So Jesus claim is unmissable. He makes it like that. And he makes neutral impossible. He makes anyone being neutral about him. He makes that impossible by making this claim. So after the, uh, so Luke will show us how that's the case in this scene. People either accept Jesus as their king. We'll see that or they'll want him out of the picture. And if you're able to join us on Friday and Sunday, we'll see that played out in full. But for now, C.S. Lewis, the famous author and atheist turned Christian, he said this when he saw Jesus's claims. He thought they're so clear. It doesn't give me room to assign Jesus a role myself like a lifestyle guru or a messenger from God. No, he's either who he declares himself to be king overall or he's not. And if he's not, then he's either deliberately deceiving people um, or he's deluded about himself. And it would would be great for you to weigh up your Jesus's claims for yourself. Is he deceiving us? Is he deluded about himself or is he who he says he is? Is he God? Uh, Well, we're going to be looking at those two responses and we've seen that Jesus's claim is unmissable. And now we're going to see how that claim makes neutral impossible. You see, the party is in full swing and the procession is in full song. But not everyone is in the party mood. The Pharisees, well, they're watching from a distance and they're horrified at what they see. And they want the whole thing shut down. Rebellion comes in many different forms. And it might be surprising to you here that it's those who would describe themselves as very religious. And you have to ask what made them so angry? It's an important question and it's worth digging into. It will show us what lies behind anyone rejecting Jesus. And if we're willing, it will show us what rebellion would look like in our hearts too. Let's look at what the Pharisees say in verse 39. And the more you look at it, it's truly extraordinary. Verse 39, they said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They don't think the disciples should be doing what they're doing. But that means they see themselves as the ones who do. And it's their job to tell others. 
It's a responsibility that seems to come so naturally to them, almost second nature. They don't even realise they're doing it. Such that they're happy to dish out advice and, and what Jesus should be doing and orders to him to get him to pull his followers into line. And I reckon they'd be unwilling to recognise any new authority other than theirs, let alone Jesus. They'd say they're acting on God's authority, but clearly it's their own. And the tragic irony is that what they consider as right ends in making Jesus their servant. And pulling the plug on people who are praising God. They would make Jesus their servant and they would pull the plug on people praising God. It's deeply troubling when you see rebellion like that. Uh, but before we get too far ahead of ourselves and we pocket those guys as crazy, well, we do the same thing, don't we? The reason we won't recognise Jesus' authority today is the same. We're too caught up in our own authority, such that our sense of our own goodness, it, it blinds us. We don't even realise we're doing it. And when Jesus enters the scene, we'd sooner make him our servant to do our bidding than to bow to him. Romans 1.21 says that we pull the plug on praising God. We don't give him thanks or honour because we prefer the glory ourselves. Jesus cramps our style. And that leaves a question, doesn't it? What will Jesus do about it? Well, first we see Jesus weeping and then we see his warning in verses 42 to 44. Uh, so Kenny's going to read for us those verses. Luke 19 from verse 41 to 44, it says this. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So what will Jesus do about it? Um, well, we, we would expect Jesus to want to settle things there and then, wouldn't we? And he has every right to. He's the king. They're his subjects. But what we find in place of retaliation is heartfelt compassion. Jesus is weeping and then we see his warning. He's holding out his hand saying, do not treat me like this. Do not treat God like this. Um, it, his heartfelt compassion for them. As the procession draws near to the city, the picture is of Jesus turning aside with streams of tears rolling down his face. And he's not weeping for himself though his death is just days away. He's weeping for Jerusalem. Verse 42 says, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. You see, Jerusalem and its people, they'd had a rich heritage of God's people and God's word. Prophet after prophet had come with a message 
after message which pointed to God's coming rescuing king. They'd had every opportunity and now as Jesus himself stands before them, they still will not listen. And that shows us the stubbornness of our own hearts, doesn't it? That we don't listen (laughs) when God tells us these things Um, and we need him uh, to open our eyes to see who Jesus is. And in verse 40 and 41, Jesus lovingly warns them what refusal will lead to. And it happened within their lifetime, actually. Their great city, Jerusalem, uh, would be invaded and crushed by the Romans. And given their warning and the reason why, he says, you did not see the time of your visitation. Do you remember what the chorus was? The disciples were singing. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, those are actually words from Psalm 118. And in the very next chapter of Luke, Jesus will quote uh, Psalm 118 to the Pharisees, but he'll give them a different bit of that psalm. Um, He says in chapter 20, verse 17, he says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone, the cornerstone. And that's a quote directly from the prophet Isaiah as well. So that he's using this, this same psalm to speak to the Pharisees who are rejecting him. And he's just told them a story about rebellious tenants who refused every messenger from the owner. Does it ring a bell? And finally put the owner's son to death. And that's exactly what they're going to do to Jesus. Even as people are rejecting Jesus, he is still in charge. Even as they're saying no to him, Jesus is still in charge. He's in the driving seat and he's accomplishing all that the prophets said would happen. And actually, he is going to go to his death for their good so that those who rejected him could be brought back. They wouldn't be enemies anymore. They would be brought back as as friends. And. And unless God opens our eyes, we'll keep rejecting him too. Jesus would have us heed the warning of the future that he gives. He actually tells us that rebellion against him leads to facing God's judgment forever in hell. He doesn't mince his words. He just tells us straight. But this is a wonderful reminder, isn't it, of his heartfelt compassion towards those who reject him. We'll see more of that on Friday, so please join us for it. But as Jesus hangs on the cross, and get this, he's he's feeling the full force of God's anger at sin himself. But his prayer is that we would not have to face that on the final day. He says this, he says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. So that's what Jesus does. He responds to those who reject him with a prayer. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he responds to us in that way. It's completely the opposite of what we'd expect. We'd expect him to come with retaliation and force. But he doesn't. He comes with a with weeping, with tears, with a warning and with his own life. Put to death on the cross for us. That's what Jesus feels and what he prays for those who reject him. 
Uh, so why don't we have a prayer together? Uh, let's pray. Father God, we are so consumed with ourselves that we don't see Jesus as king. We want the attention to come our way and not his. We're offended at the truth that we exist for him and not for ourselves. If you don't open our eyes, we would keep rejecting you blindly. We would be hypocrites seeing ourselves as good people and seeing others as worse. Jesus, you wept to see us this way. And yet you died that we might not face judgment, but be forgiven. Father, please have mercy on us. Humble us to see Jesus as our saviour and to live for him. Amen.